Quebecois. This is a question that's constantly being debated around the United States, and it's a fascinating question because you're always hearing, uh, what's the difference between a Cuban immigrant and a Mexican immigrant? And this thing has been going around and around and around for decades now, and there's all kinds of case law that establishes differences. But over the years, so much of this has changed, and uh, people have argued about it. And, and if you, this show, look, we're doing this because we're Latinos, right? This is, this is the first outlet that we think can actually address some of these topics that we all talk about as uh, Latinos in the United States. That's why we call the, our network Agua Media, and this is Rick Sanchez News, where every week we talk about these types of things, everything from Latinx to why are we leaderless to why is it that we're the third fastest growing economy in the entire world? Yeah, if we Latinos in the United States were a country, we'd be the third fastest growing economy in the entire world. And nobody knows that. Nobody knows that. And there's so much out there. But today, this is the topic that I think we need to be able to address. And it has a lot to do with what uh, some of the conversations are in the United States about something like this. So it's, uh, yeah, look, I don't want to make it seem like it's Cuban versus Mexican, but it seems, it seems at least in terms of the way immigration has been set up over the years, that's kind of what it is. And it's kind of changed a little bit, too. You could have argued at some point, just as, you know, Castro had taken over Cuba, that the people coming over from Cuba really were fleeing desperately from a country that was very, very uh, militarized and political. Is that true today? Is that true today? And we're going to ask these questions. And the reason we're asking these questions, by the way, the reason we're asking these questions is because suddenly something has happened in Florida that makes us ask the question. And I think, I think it was a mistake. This thing that I'm about to tell you about in Florida is a mistake. Let me, let me quote to you from uh, the Miami Herald. Florida Lieutenant Governor Jeanette Nunez, a Cuban-American Republican from Miami, raised eyebrows among some Cuban-Americans over the weekend after suggesting on a conservative AM radio show that Cubans who were in Florida illegally, in quotations, by the way, you know, there we go with that very uh, loaded term, illegals, illegally, would be bused to Delaware. So she said they would be bused to Delaware. In fact, here it is. Listen for yourself. Una parte de los números que han venido eh, por la frontera de a large Cuba, part of those who are coming from Cuba, be assured that they want to come to Florida. There's no doubt about it. And if they come here illegally, they're not going to stay here with their arms folded, wondering what they're going to do. Frankly, we're going to take them and send them to Delaware. President Biden's state. So she's saying Cuban illegals, Cuban illegals are going to be shipped to Delaware. And obviously you understand this is part of politics. Democrats do it too. It's essentially, it's a political statement that the governor who's a Republican of Florida, and this is his attorney general are trying to make is, we're going to show that Joe Biden, by golly, we're going to ship the illegals to his state. That's the framework of the argument. They're trying to say they're shipping the illegals to his state, but there's a problem. There's a problem. And the problem is she just told the Cubans in Miami that they're no different than Mexicans, right? 
you Cuban illegals are going to be shipped to Delaware. Well, within 24 hours, Tallahassee, for those of you who don't know, that's the governor of Flor the, the, where the uh, capital of Florida is. Tallahassee freaked out. And they immediately, the governor had his spokesperson put out a tweet. Let me read you what that uh, tweet says. This is in response to Florida's Lieutenant Governor Jeanette Nunez, who made that statement that I just played for you. And I translated it for you because, yes, I am fluent in laka, laka, laka. Um, here's, here's the Christina Pushaw is the um, governor's uh, spokesperson. She says, Lieutenant Governor Nunez clearly said that those who come illegally should be transported out of Florida, no matter where they came from. That's not what she said. If someone came to Miami on a raft from Cuba to escape communism and repression, that person is legal because refugee. By the way, this is very weirdly written. Let me read that to you again. If someone came to Miami on a raft from Cuba to escape communist repression, comma, that person is legal because refugee. I guess she means because they're a refugee, and if you're a refugee, you're automatically legal in the United States. By the way, that is not true, for the record. But that is what she's saying. So, obviously, what we have going on here is um, the governor of the state of Florida realizing that his lieutenant governor has said something which is politically not viable for him. If you want to get elected in South Florida, if you want to get elected in Florida, if you want to win the presidency, you gots to go to Miami. Look, whether you're a Republican or a Democrat, I don't care. You got to go to Miami and you got to appease the Cubans. That's just the way it works. And you got to go there and say, I'm going to kill Fidel Castro. It doesn't matter that he's been dead for 30 years or whatever. You just got to say, <laughs> it's I know it's silly. Politics is silly, okay? Politics is silly, but you got to do that. You got to appease the Cuban vote. And if you don't appease the Cuban vote, you won't be elected in the state of Florida. And in this case, what this highlights is something that's always been talked about, but it's kind of been whispered. And here it is out in the open. Here it is out in the open. You know, I mean, suddenly the um, lieutenant governor of Florida said, all illegals, right? Because she's using the word illegal. It was in quotations, right? All illegals are going to be shipped to Delaware. And she even made it a point to include Cubans who have been coming here lately. And as soon as Tallahassee and Governor DeSantis found out that she had said this, she said, no, we mean Mexicans. We mean Mexicans. We don't mean Cubans. Why did I sound like Trump there? We don't mean Cubans. We mean... <laughs> We, we mean Mexicans. So then you ask yourself, well, why? Why? And is that true? And what's an illegal and why is it different? And does it have to do with nationality? And there's really so much to talk about here. And yes, the underpinning of all of this is politics. Okay, let's not kid ourselves. Everything that we're kind of talking about has to do with politics in so many ways. But let me bring in somebody who knows the legal part of this and who's been dealing with these questions for most of his life. Um, my guest is Thomas Sainz, President, General Counsel, the Mexican-American Legal Defense and Education Fund. He does, uh, he's a really, really, really smart guy. 
one of them Ivy League guys, you know, who uh, can answer all of the questions and knows case law in like it's in the back of his head. And we appreciate you coming on. Thomas, how are you, my friend? I'm good. How are you? What do you think of this? Well, I think it, it indicates, as you said, the politics of Florida. She mistakenly called out Cubans and alienated, in DeSantis's view, a lot of Cuban Americans in South Florida. And he needs those folks, whatever his political ambitions may be. I would say further, it describes a Republican Party interest these days in distinguishing among Latino subgroups. And I think that that's important because for the last decade, decade and a half, we've seen a lot of that distinguishing between Latino subgroups uh, go away. And a lot of that has been because so many in the Cuban American, Puerto Rican, and other communities have recognized that when they come down on Latino immigrants, they don't distinguish. They view all of us as Mexicans at that point. Well, that's interesting that, you know, it, that, that's, let's start there because that's fast. That's what I first thought when I read this story. When I first read this story, what I saw was, so what they're really saying is we do want the Cubans to continue to vote Republican, just like the Democrats want certain groups, whether it's Hondurans or Guatemalans or Mexicans to vote Democrat. But this time they're saying, we still want you to continue to vote for us. However, fact of the matter is illegal is illegal. And as far as we're concerned, you're all the same. And, and, and that's what they accidentally said before they took it back. And I think that's because they're at pains and have been for many decades to argue that their views on immigration are not race-based. That, as you put it, illegal means illegal no matter who you are. And in their view, that would include somebody who's from Eastern Europe or Western Europe, for that matter. But in fact, it doesn't play out that way. In fact, it plays out targeting primarily people of color and primarily Latinos. And again, within the Latino community, primarily targeting Mexicans, though increasingly, as you know, Central Americans because of the current flow to the southern border. Uh, but in the end, they want to make sure that folks don't see them as basing this on race. But at the same time, within the Latino community, they want to distinguish between groups because they recognize that their votes are coming primarily from limited subgroups, Cuban-Americans first among us. Let me talk about a dirty little secret that everybody in Miami knows who are, like me, a Cuban exile or a Cuban-American. Many of the people who are coming from Cuba today to the United States, um, unlike perhaps myself and my mother and my father and others from different generations, I don't know where the line is, have less and less become political exiles and are really no different as economic exiles coming to the United States to try and look for a better, uh, a, a, a better life um, economically, just like the people coming from Tegucigalpa and just like the people coming from Guatemala City and just like the people coming from Mexico City. And most people in Miami would admit that to you, maybe not publicly, but if you were talking to them. And let me just add another point that I think people don't know who may need to know this. Many of those people who are coming from Cuba to the United States seeking asylum 
because oftentimes they fear that they are political exiles and they got to show that they would be persecuted if they were returning to Cuba, kind of defeat their own argument. Because as far as I can tell, and I live here, many, if not the majority, go back to Cuba on weekends. What does that tell you? I think it all goes back to the fact that our immigration laws are not nimble and have not been changed in many, many years. So our rules began in the Cold War, in the midst of the deepest part of the Cold War. And so our immigration laws, even today, show preferences for those who are fleeing communist regimes. Now, that's most obvious with respect to the Cuban-American community, as you described. But it really was across the board. The politics of the Cold War really influenced how our law developed in immigration. But we have not changed those laws or adjusted them in any way to reflect current reality. And by, the way, and, and by the way, to be clear, I understand that. If there is a major event in your country, which is a political event or even an earthquake or a, you know, or a um, God-created event, as we like to say, um, and the United States in its mercy says, we are going to allow people from that country who are desperate because of that thing that's happening right now to come to the United States, which may be the best way to describe the Cuban Democracy Act of, I think, 1967, where they said Cubans are going to be allowed to come to the United States because of the situation that's going on in Cuba. But here we are now, what, 40, 50 years later? And that situation is really no longer the case. Cuba's really in economic straits, no different than uh, uh, Honduras is in economic straits, or, or, or Guatemala is in economic straits, or so many other countries in Central America are in economic oh, like straits. I, I, so, I, so the situation has changed, Thomas. I, I would say it's actually changed on both sides. I, I think that there's an argument today that Central American refugees who are fleeing conditions of violence that arguably are tied directly for, to policies in, in those countries are different than migrants from Central America decades ago that may have been more fairly characterized as economic. But it's also true that decades ago, they were fleeing all, also a political situation from the opposite side of the political spectrum. Back in the 80s, as you know, many were leaving Central America because of right-wing uh, oppressive governments, not communist governments. But back then, it was the middle of the Cold War in the 80s, or the end of it, but still the Cold War. And, and there were distinctions drawn between if you were fleeing a politically repressive right-wing government versus fleeing a communist government. Again, very much tied into the politics, including the international relations politics of the day. But the point that you and I are both making is uh, the Cold War ended uh, now four decades ago, almost. Mm -hmm. uh, and really, conditions have changed in terms of our international relations dramatically since then. Uh, and we haven't changed our immigration law. So, so would it then stand, and your point is a good one, because what you're saying is there's people coming from Honduras, which is now considered one of the most dangerous places in the world. If you're raising your children in Honduras, there's a good chance your daughter, by the time she gets to be 16, will be raped, and your son will be shot and killed because of the political situation in a place like Honduras, and it's not the only place. So that's the point that you're making. I'm just accentuating it with some of the facts, which are true, which would stand to reason then that if you're coming from Honduras, you may 
actually be more of a political exile than if you're coming from my birthplace, Guanabacoa, for example, in uh, Cuba, although that may not have been the case 30, 40 years ago. So what that leaves us with then as we continue this, this, this interesting, interesting intellectual um, deep dive into why we are where we are is the question that we, you and I have to ask ourselves then. So what keeps the law, or let me just say it more, more, more clearly, why is it then that Cubans continue to be treated differently, given that, despite what you and I just talked about? Because we haven't changed our laws. We, we haven't had the ability since 1990, really, to change our immigration laws in any significant way. And that's despite, as you know, strong public opinion in favor of making certain changes, particularly with respect to the undocumented population here in the country. But we really have been unable politically to move forward the kind of immigration reform that would change the law or put in place the ability to be more nimble in the future in reacting to changes worldwide. But you just said politically. So I, what, what, I, what I'm hearing or what I'm sensing is uh, the politics are actually leading the immigration decisions. No? Absolutely. Absolutely. No question. That's what we are not making immigration decisions based on policy. We're making them based on politics. Can I be as cynical as to suggest that, and that's not to say that the Republicans are the only ones who would do something like this, but it just so happens the Republicans need the Cubans to vote, and by Cubans, I mean Cuban-Americans, people like myself, Cuban-Americans in Miami to vote Republican. Therefore, they are adjusting the laws and the rhetoric to make sure they continue to vote Republican by separating them from the Mexican immigrants. I think that's right, with one addition, which is this is very difficult because overall the Republican Party has become more universally aligned with an anti-immigrant politics. That wasn't the case, as you know, 10, 15, 20 years ago, when immigration reform was a bipartisan issue with strong support from leaders in both parties. But what we've seen is a shift where one party has become almost universally aligned with an anti-immigrant perspective. And the difficulty is that at the same time, that party is trying to keep the loyalty of a community, Cuban-Americans, mm -hmm. who are very much tied to immigration, ongoing immigration, yes. and immigration policy. So they've created a conundrum. We want to keep this group that's very much aligned with immigration politics, if you will, well, we have almost universally adopted an anti-immigrant politics as our brand. This and is that's always going to be difficult. This is fascinating what you just said, and I, and I think I have something that underscores that because what you just said, Counselor, is that Republicans, in this case, we're going to use DeSantis, who happens to be the governor of Florida needs to go out there and in a very Trumpian fashion say, I am against those illegal immigrants. And if they continue coming here, I'm going to show them, look what I'm going to do. I'm sending them to Delaware. I'm doing this. Not only that, not only that, he recently decided he was going to use state 
Florida state taxpayer money to send police officers from Florida all the way into Texas to show how tough he is against immigrants, which is interesting because he's using police officers in Florida to go do the work of police officers in Texas because he wants to show how much he despises those illegal uh, immigrants, those illegal aliens, as I'm sure he would uh, say. But what's interesting is he's then telling Cubans, but you guys can be illegal immigrants. You guys can be illegal aliens. It's okay. You can do it. I just don't want the Mexicans to do it because, you know, I don't know. Here's the cynic in me again. Those Mexicans are not going to vote for me anyway, so I'm just not going to be worried about offending them. Here is uh, DeSantis announcing that he's sending all of these troopers. That's cost the state now $1.6 million to the Texas border. Uh, we already have a number of sheriff's offices and state law enforcement agencies uh, that have committed uh, to sending aid. Uh, Florida Highway Patrol, Florida Department of Law Enforcement, Florida Fish and Wildlife, Escambia County, Brevard, Lee, Pasco, Hillsboro, Okaloosa, Santa Rosa, Homes. All these sheriffs immediately said, absolutely, count us in. And by the way, <laughs> when Texas said, do you guys want us to pay you back? The governor said, nope, nope, it's okay. Uh, but the, the taxpayers of Florida will fund the bill for the police officers to not patrol the streets of Florida, but rather the streets of Texas, uh, carte blanche or free, I guess. You know, we're gonna we're gonna take care of that for you to show how tough he is against, um, politically speaking, how tough he is against them illegal immigrants, especially the ones in Mexico, but again, not the ones in Florida. I mean, you can't make this stuff up, Thomas. No, but the only thing I would add to it is they're actually being sent to not do Texas law enforcement work because Texas law enforcement isn't doing appropriate work because the governor there, Governor Abbott, has detailed state troopers to be involved in immigration enforcement, which is not their job. So basically, DeSantis is having Florida taxpayers pay to send law enforcement to Texas, not to do Texas law enforcement job, to do a job that doesn't belong to any of them, but belongs exclusively under our constitution to the federal government and the Department of Homeland Security. Here we are doing this podcast, which is about Latinos, right, in the United States. And let me just say that the best thing that, and he doesn't know this, but I do, the best thing that um, Governor DeSantis can do for the state of Delaware is send them Latino immigrants. The best thing that any governor can do for any other state in the United States is send them Latino immigrants because, and let me just put it very much as plainly as I can. If you wanted citizens in your state, would you want them to be church going? You got them if you got Latinos. Would you want them to work more, be more industrious than most of your citizens now? Well, if you get Latinos, you got them. The average Latino, according to labor statistics, works 44 hours a week. The average non-Latino, 33. Do you want them to be the type of people who have a tendency to join the military ranks more often? Well, you got them if you have Latinos. Do you want them to be part of one of the largest economies in the United States? You got them if you got Latinos. Do you want them to have more mortgages than most Americans? Well, you got them if you have Latinos. Do you want them to buy more houses and cars? Well, you got them if you have Latinos. Bottom line is, 
DeSantis may be thinking he's doing a horrible thing to the state of Delaware by sending him these, quote unquote, illegal immigrants. Every stat, every statistic, every report that I read says Latino immigrants are, are, are the best neighbor you could possibly ever have in this country right now. Documented, Thomas. Absolutely. And I would add to that, Rick, by just saying if you want folks who are young workers, who are going to be contributing to Social Security for many decades to come before they ever get to the point of collecting. In other words, do you want the workers who are actually supporting those who are currently collecting Social Security, our elderly? Then you want those Latino workers. The average, uh, the common age of a Latino is 11. The common age of a Latino is 11. The common age of a non-Latino white European in the United States is 58. Think about that. Just to... For those of you who are going to write letters to me or let me know, I'm not talking about average. I know this is the node. It's called the common age, which to make Thomas's point even more dramatic, the youth movement going on in the United States. By the way, an another thing that's important, and, and, you know, we always say these things, but they're they're critically important. Uh, Eighty percent of the Latinos in the United States are U.S. citizens of those under the age of 41. Ninety five percent speak English. So I know the tendency is for both Hollywood and Fox News and the Republican Party right now to, uh, and by the way, I say all three, to show Latinos not as they are, but as they seemingly want to present them. It really is a big difference. And that's what leads to things like what you're talking about, Thomas. When you were referring to what's going on right now in Texas, that's called the Operation Lone Star Initiative, where essentially, again, a Republican governor in very Trumpian form and realizing that Trump may have won the election and become the president of the United States because the first words that he uttered, the first words that came out of his mouth were Mexicans crossing the border are, 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 are rapists and criminals. And you know what? Say what you want about Donald Trump, but it worked. Okay. It, it worked. And it made him, it, you could argue that's one of the reasons he became the president of the United States, because there are a lot of people who thought that way. And suddenly they came and said, I love that guy because he's saying what nobody else will say. Now you got a guy like DeSantis essentially stepping up and the governor of Texas essentially doing the same thing. And isn't that really what Operation Lone Star in uh, Texas is all about? It's absolutely, totally about politics. Now, the thing to add is that Governor Abbott is, as you know, facing a serious reelection challenge. He's got a serious candidate running against him, and he's got to make sure he wins that election. So he has doubled down, tripled down on his anti-immigrant views to become very Trumpian. And Operation Lone Star is a part of that. It is clearly a political move where he has directed Texas state troopers to basically be engaged in immigration enforcement in certain counties that he identifies as being in an emergency state because of unlawful immigration. Instead, what he's done is unleash state troopers to engage in widespread racial profiling, to discriminatorily pull over those who are Latino, look Latino, and to come up with a traffic-based reason to pull them over. But their real interest is engaging in discussion about immigration issues. Think about what All that means. I want you uh, listening to the sound of our voices. I'm here talking to Thomas Saenz, president and general counsel of Mexican-American Legal Defense and Education Fund. I want you to think for a minute about what Thomas just said. While, uh, George, if you could get the uh, Beto O'Rourke uh, uh, sound ready. Uh, I'm going to go to that in just a minute. I'm going to skip Roland Gutierrez and go right to Beto O'Rourke since that's what uh, 
uh, Thomas alluded to. But let me let me just put this in very uh, rudimentary terms. Imagine that no matter who you are, no matter what color your skin is, and no matter what nationality you are, or what religion you are, or, or where you live in the United States or in the world, for that matter, if you're listening to the sound of my voice, that every time you left your driveway, by the time you got to the end of the street corner, a police officer pulled you over and asked you, where are you going? Who are you? What are you doing? Et cetera, et cetera. And legally, they had a right to do that, right? That is what's going on right now in Texas. In certain places, oh, wink, wink, all of those are places where there are lots of Latinos living, but they're not the only ones uh, being pulled over, by the way. But that is what it's like to live in those places right now. The governor has decided to send in the, the, the this force, this overwhelming force, and they are pulling over everybody for anything to see if possibly they're an illegal immigrant trying to sneak into the United States. Now, you know, reductio de absurdum, you know, bringing this argument to the most absurd point. Sure, I would say, uh, if, do you want to catch bank robbers? Well, of course I want to catch bank robbers. Well, then you got to let me stop everybody. Well, yeah. <laughs> do you want to catch uh, child molesters? Do you want to catch, uh, you know, uh, somebody who's uh, cheating on their taxes? Well, then I have to stop. Well, no. You, you, that would that that would be like saying that every American should be stopped every half hour just to see what they're doing or what they may have been up to or what they might be thinking of doing in the future, and that's kind of what's going on right now in Texas. Everybody is being stopped. Here's Beto O'Rourke with some statistics that he just came up with or that he uh, investigated and he's sharing. And, and listen to the numbers that uh, Beto O'Rourke shares. Here it is: the number of traffic citations written by state troopers in the valley has gone up 1,000% since Operation Lone Star. You are being taxed for driving on the road in these communities right now, just because of where you live and very often the color of your skin. Thomas Sains, you say what? Amen. Uh, that's clearly what this was intended to do. It's clearly designed by Governor Abbott to send a political message and O'Rourke is calling it out. It's basically licensing being pulled over for driving while brown, engaging in immigration enforcement that is the exclusive province of the federal government, all to bolster Abbott's re-election prospects this November. You know, there's a wrinkle in this that happened recently, and it's funny the way God sometimes sends messages. But one of the things that they're doing with Operation Lone Star its effort in uh, the state of Texas to show strength against immigrants, especially them, their quote unquote illegals, was they were going to help shore up the school system and secure schools, for example. And one of the schools they were supposed to secure is Uvalde. And interestingly enough, those children who died in Uvalde, we now know died in many ways because of the incompetence, the sheer incompetence ironically enough, of this Operation Lone Star officers who supposedly are the biggest and the baddest and the toughest, and they didn't do shit, okay? When they had to face down this crazy killer in that school, they didn't do crap. In fact, they wilted. They wilted. We know this now. Here's Texas Senator Roland Gutierrez talking about this. Every one of those officers, of the 91 that appeared, 
were all from the Operation Lone Star Task Force, the majority, according to the testimony of Steve McCraw in my cross-examination of them. And that is the biggest hypocrisy of, this, of all of this, is that in all of this, the big, bad Operation Lone Star Task Force failed these children in Uvalde. They failed them. This is a fascinating wrinkle to this story, uh, Thomas. Absolutely. But it does drive home the point. When you adopt bad priorities, like Governor Abbott has, instead funding Operation Lone Star over taking steps to train troopers, to train police how to react to a situation like Uvalde, it has real consequences. And in this case, the consequences are dead children. But that's what happens whenever you shift resources to bad priorities like Operation Lone Star. I don't want to give credit to the Democrats because I think they're obviously, uh, in many ways, just as corrupt and just as stupid as the Republicans. And I'm not here to play politics. I'm basically here to call balls and strikes. But from a political standpoint alone, from a political standpoint alone, it seems to me like the Republican Party with what we've just talked about, which is y- you can't deny this conversation that you and I've just had. Th- these are facts. I mean, this 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 Lieutenant Governor Jeanette Nunez really did say this. And then the governor came in and did retract it. And he really did send troops to the to Texas. And they really are doing this Operation Lone Star in Texas. So these are all things that we know are going on. And as a Latino American living in the United States, I feel like the Republican Party, the Republican Party is kicking me in the teeth. And, and I can't help but, and as a Latino, speaking for other Latinos, they're not kicking me. They're kicking the entire Latino community of the United States. I can't help but ask myself, why are you doing this? Because as a Latino, I could see myself agreeing with the majority of what are Republican principles. Church, hardworking, fiscal responsibility, um, national honor, defending your country. They're explaining me and just about every other Latino in the United States why you just have to ask yourself, why are they so hell-bent on telling us they can't stand us and then hoping we will vote for them? Well, it's a very short-term political strategy. It has short-term successes. You cited one of them. I would say that Donald Trump was in the White House in part because he exploited folks' fears about the growth of the Latino community with that announcement that you identified in June of 2015, characterizing all Mexican immigrants as rapists and murderers. He was using a strategy that's very short-term. didn't work out for him. In 2020, he was voted out of office. I don't think he currently has a political future. But he wasn't following the history because there have been leaders in states who have done the same. I'm in California. And as you know, Rick, in the mid-1990s, Republican Governor Pete Wilson, seeking re-election in 1994, tied his re-election to an anti-immigrant stance, a very vehement anti-immigrant stance. And sure enough, it reversed the polling and got him re-elected. His political career ended almost immediately thereafter. He had a presidential campaign, lasted about a minute and a half, and he's gone nowhere politically since then. Jan Brewer in Arizona, as you know, embraced SB 1070 uh, just a dozen years ago. She needed it because she had to get elected in her own right, having ascended to governor of Arizona after Janet Napolitano resigned to join the Obama cabinet. So she needed that in the short term, and it worked for her. She got elected governor in her own right. 
But again, she's in obscurity today, no political future. The problem is folks see this as a short-term political strategy, but don't think about the long-term ramifications. So I have no doubt that DeSantis and Abbott, Abbott thinks this will secure his reelection. DeSantis thinks this will spark his status as the successor to Donald Trump, if you will. But it's not a long-term political strategy that will work for the party, as you have described. Well, let me push back on you there. If we look at it in the present, everybody who has aligned themselves with Donald Trump and his very anti-Mexican, for lack of a better term, uh, ideology is winning uh, politically in all of their primaries. Um, there's also another difference that I'll address for you. Well, let's, ta let's tackle that one first, and then I think you know where I'm going. I'm going to go to the media for the next part. We, we do see signs that it's working for a lot of people right now, and the trend is good for those who think that to win as a Republican today, you have to be anti-Mexican. So it is absolutely working in primaries. And I would say in states that are overwhelmingly Republican, that primary electorate is also going to be predictive of the general election. And that really depends on the district that they're running in, in particular. But long term, it's not a strategy that is going to gain those individuals long term tenure in office, again, unless they're in an overwhelmingly Republican district or state. And it's not a strategy that for the party is a long term strategy. You know what's going to happen next week, which is that Texas is on the cusp of becoming more competitive. It already is mm -hmm. in many respects. There hasn't been a Democratic win at statewide level, but it's become much more competitive. And as Texas becomes more Latino, that is going to become, become more characteristic of that state. And it means that eventually it will flip. Now, will it flip permanently? A lot depends on whether this remains the long-term strategy of the Republican Party or not. Yeah, no, you're right. In fact, we're seeing trends now in places we never would have imagined because of the Latino vote in those places that it is kind of going in the other direction. Georgia, Virginia, uh, North Carolina. It's just to name Arizona. a few, right? Arizona. 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 Yeah. Yeah. So it, it's interesting. But now let's talk about another, uh, something else that factors into this, which is really important for this conversation. Um, there was a time when Ronald Reagan uh, was adamant about embracing the Latino community and even protecting the rights of immigrants who had come to the United States without documents and saying explaining that they would become American citizens and they would, they, they would be, by becoming American citizens, they would do all the things that other, others have come to the United States and done in the past, be they Germans or Irish or Jews or Italians, and that is contributed, contribute to this melting pot. Ronald Reagan did that, enacted that, passed laws for that, so did uh, George Bush. Um, and if they hadn't, they probably would have faced some pushback from a media, which would have seen them uh, as being maybe um, a little too nationalistic. Today, we have media, Fox News, and another assortment of others who essentially proliferate the same anti-Mexican message, who reward politicians who stand on a soapbox and come up with really wildly crazy anti-Mexican rhetoric. So do, do you think that will make this moment last longer? 
I, I think it's very dangerous what we've seen in the media, the evident bias, the trend, as you described it accurately, uh, toward really expecting uh, anti-immigrant racially based stances from uh, political leaders. So that is very troubling. I think what is different is that those media folks are now doing what folks like Pete Wilson and Jan Brewer and Donald Trump did in the political arena. They are banking on there being a lot of folks who have demographic fear. Demographic fear is basically the fear that this country is changing. Now, that demographic fear these days takes the form of Latinos. Yeah. Because, as you know, Latinos are now for almost 20 years have been the largest minority group in the country. The last census, the 2020 census, tells us that Latinos alone accounted for 51% or more of the growth of the population of the nation as a whole. So that scares some folks. And you can react to that demographic fear with a message of unity, with a message of commonality, like the one you described for Ronald Reagan. That's what his message was. You can respond that way, or you can respond by exploiting that fear to make it deeper for your own temporary gain. And I think that's what media outlets like Fox are doing. They see a more immediate gain by playing to that crowd. And it certainly is paying off for them in certain respects. Well, you could argue, as I think you have made the point, that um, Ron, uh, Donald Trump opened the door uh, for other politicians to just walk through, essentially doing everything possible to have a uh, nationalistic message uh, not just against Latinos, but more against Latinos than just about all others. And wouldn't you say that's what we're seeing happen right now? I would say yes, though I'm personally wary of ever giving Donald Trump for credit with coming up with anything. <laughs> so I will just say the roots of this began earlier. It just didn't have the support. I mean, you remember Pat Buchanan, basically his candidacies for the nomination of the Republican Party were built around the same sort of nationalistic anti-immigrant rhetoric. He just couldn't find the traction to move anywhere uh, in a general election. So yes, Donald Trump's success in using this rhetoric to get himself into the White House is having ramifications in how so many believe their path to political success will go. Finally, um what Donald Trump did was he took prevalent ideologies, prevalent theories, the prevalent thinking of America. And although we'd like to, or some would like to, blame the Republican Party, et cetera, et cetera, this is not a Republican Party thing. Americans actually do not understand Latinos in the United States these crazy stories about us being more apt to commit crimes, which is not only not true, it's the opposite. We are less apt to commit a crime than just about anybody in the United States, that we don't pay taxes. Again, completely not true that Latinos don't pay. They pay more than their share of taxes. Um, I could go on, collect welfare. Again, not true. Latinos, less apt to collect welfare than any other American. But yet, that theory persists because it is the conventional wisdom that is presented not just by Fox News, but in Hollywood. If you watch a movie, a Latino is always the criminal. And when he's not a criminal, he's just a loser, right? 
And um, I, I think that's a problem. I, I, would, I would say that Donald Trump's success is in large part due to the vacuum of information about Latinos that you've just outlined. And that vacuum of information about us was basically created by mainstream media and Hollywood, as you've indicated. Now, that vacuum comes from stereotypes in the way that you've described, but it also comes from our not being depicted at all. As you know, when you look at Hollywood media, whether that's television or movies, Latinos are the most underrepresented group. When you compare our percentage of the population of the country to representation in front of the camera, we are the most underrepresented and have been for quite a number of years. That is the kind of vacuum we're talking about that Donald Trump was able to fill with lies and white nationalist rhetoric. And that's what he built his campaign on. And that's what we are trying to counter with this podcast, Rick Sanchez News. So when I say to you that you should subscribe if you're watching us um, on uh, YouTube, and even more importantly, do me a favor. If you happen to be listening to the sound of my voice and if you're having, if you're enjoying this conversation that I'm having with uh, the distinguished counselor, uh, Thomas Sainz, um, go to Spotify or Apple and listen to the podcast there because it's in the podcast world that we can really uh, make a difference. I mean, it really is. Uh, the, the future is going to be in people listening to these types of stories on their phones. So do me a favor, go and listen there and then share it with someone. If you know somebody who's Latino or you think would like to hear this message, which you're not gonna hear anywhere else, you're not going to hear this on CNN. You're not going to hear this on Fox. You're not going to hear this on NBC. You're not going to hear this on CBS. Like Thomas just said, we're 20% of the population. We're less than 2% of the people invited to have conversations in those outlets. Let me say that again. We're 20% of the population. Less than 2% of the people invited on those places, like CNN, are Latinos. And that's part of the problem. That's why they don't understand <laughs> that we can have conversations like this and share these facts that are so important. So do me a favor. If you get a chance, go to the podcast and go and share it with somebody you know, or two or three, because that's how we can get this message out there and then have other Latinos join us in this conversation, this united conversation, because in the end, we started talking about Cubans and Mexicans and Hondurans. Look, Latinos in the United States have much more in common than they have that distinguishes them. Latinos have more in common than almost any other cohort in the United States, including Americans themselves, right? We tend to, we more of the same religion. We tend to speak the same language in the same way. We tend, I could go on and on. And this is important. And yet we're letting other people define us. We are letting other people define us. And that's, you know, just let's be serious about it. That's part of the problem. It's one of the biggest problems that we have now. And that's why we want to do what we do here and have these conversations. So whether you subscribe to us on uh, YouTube or listen to us on uh, our podcast on Spotify or Apple or wherever you get your podcast. It's important that uh, you help us get this message out. Unless you disagree with us, then don't. <laughs> you know, you may have a you may have a different point of view, but I guarantee you, everything that we've said in this conversation, look it up. It's the facts. It might startle some people to hear this, especially when I say things like, "Yeah, Latinos do pay more taxes." No, you don't. <laughs> Latinos are not on welfare. In fact, you can't be in the United States undocumented and collect welfare. It's impossible. Why do we hear people say that, Thomas? 
Well, it's the vacuum that you're helping to fill. It's all of this lack of information and inattention to this large group. And frankly, it's because the mainstream media doesn't want to challenge folks' common wisdom, as you've described it. Those are things that they believe, and mainstream media doesn't see it as in their interests to really change that perception. And so they don't invest a lot in it. They create that dangerous vacuum that thank you, Rick, for, for trying to help to fill. Well said. Um, you graduated from Yale? I did indeed. Wow, that's pretty cool. How'd they let you <laughs> in? How'd they let you in there? There were very few of us. Very few. <laughs> I kid you only because I love you, man. Thanks. I appreciate it, Thomas. You're a good man. Thanks so much for, uh, for having this conversation with us and uh, for telling some uh, what we like to call Latino truths here on Rick Sanchez News. Thank you. Agua.